I started pastoring here when I was 28, and uh, I am now 72, so that means I've been pastoring for 44 years. And somebody the other day said, uh, I don't think there's anybody that, in the state of Oregon, at least, that's pastored their church longer than you have. I said, nope. There is a guy that has pastored for eight years more than I have, and he's 80 and uh, he's one of my heroes. His name is George Clark. He pastors a little church in Rowena. Uh, and he was pastoring there when I was living in Trout Lake. And our youth groups used to get together. And uh, I remember he would sing. I was pretty sure that when he sang, you could hear him on the other side of the Columbia River. He had a really loud... He still does. He goes to the meetings, the conservative Baptist meetings, and he's there, and wherever he's sitting in a big room, I can hear him singing. And uh, like I say, he's 80, probably 81 now. That was uh, last year when he was 80, and when he celebrated his 50th year at his church pastoring, he started the church, and uh, he still sings really, really loud, and uh, his hearing is worse than mine, and uh, he does have hearing aids, but they don't make them to crank up that loud. But one of the things I remember when I started pastoring, the very first Conservative Baptist Association meeting I went to, and he was there, he said, uh, so how are you doing on your church? I said, I think I'm doing okay. And he says, uh, what are you doing for worship? I said, I'm leading. He says, uh, as I remember, you don't sing very well. I said, you remember very accurately there, but there's nobody to do it, so I'm doing it. He said, let me make a recommendation. Pick out 25 hymns, because that's what we sang back in those days, that are in the range that you sing comfortable and memorize them. I said, have you got 25 memorized? He said, I have 100 memorized. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And so I uh, actually did that. We're singing tonight. Both the hymns we sang are... Uh, ones that I had memorized. And I'm singing the songs thinking to myself, it's been like 40 years since I memorized those songs. And I have totally, completely forgotten them. But they kind of came back tonight as we were singing. I, I was looking, not looking at the words, seeing if I could do it or not. And so I just remade a new goal tonight. I just wrote my goals for the year. I have 73 goals, and I scratched one out the other day because I decided I didn't want to do it, and so I've got a, a hole there. I'm going to put in there. I'm going to rememorize those 25 hymns because the only song I sing now when I don't have words is Jesus Loves Me, uh, and I just sing the one verse of it. And most of the time, I sing the one that's like, Jesus loves me more than Miss Krause and, or whoever is in vicinity of me. And so uh, I'm going to memorize some hymns. I think I'll start with those two that we sang tonight as my goal. By the way, I assume you're all writing your goals in the middle of November. It takes a while to write good goals. You don't want to wait till the last minute if you're starting January 1. And so I, I always love to read people's goals. If you'd like to send them to me, email them to me, or hand them to me, I would be honored to read your goals. Maybe if you want some ideas, suggestions on coaching on that. Um, like say, I have 70 three dropped one now i just added it to it to memorize 25 hymns the 25 i memorized back uh, in 1977 76 so 
Tonight we're on Philippians 3, 18 through 21. Let me read it to you. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state, some of us more humble than others, the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. That means we'll have a body just like that of Jesus by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So if you all got a copy of the notes, number one, those who are not followers of Jesus Christ have a very sad ending. So back when, uh, 1976, when I started pastoring, we didn't have very many people come into the church, and the income that we had uh, from offerings was not great. And so my salary was $500 a month, and uh, it was kind of tight. And so I did several things to make extra money. I milked cows uh, for some of the dairies in the area. We had a fellow in the church that was a contractor, and he would hire me periodically to help on house building. And uh, one of my pastor friends says, go around to all the, the, the funeral homes, mortuaries in your area, and just tell them that you're available if there's somebody that has... A family member die and they don't have a pastor. And so I did that. And uh, it's p pretty easy money, 100 bucks for doing a funeral, and all you do is, you know, it takes about an hour. And so they would call and say, yeah, this family has a family member, they don't have a pastor. And so I would call, chat on the phone, and and then I would go to the funeral home or, or whatever and do the service. And I had a couple of canned sermons that I did for all of them and got $100. Now, the deal that my wife and I had was that the money that I earned from funerals and weddings, I got to keep for hunting and fishing. So what I would tell people is that people are just dying for me to go hunting. <laughs> and, uh, but I, uh, most of those people that called were not believers. And I, I remember thinking, that, that is the saddest thing that I have ever done in my life was to do a service, a funeral service for a family who have no hope. They have no clue where their loved one is. I remember the hardest one I did was a 20-year-old guy who was in a motorcycle accident. And his dad uh, and I were sort of friends we were in an archery club together. He called me on the phone. He said, you're the only father I know. I didn't want to straighten him out as far as what the titles were. I said, uh, yeah, I would, I'd be happy to do your son's service. In the, and it was, um, there was zero, zero awareness of anything spiritual. And it was just a difficult service, and it was hard for them, and it was hard for me. And uh, lost people have a sad ending. Philippians 3.18, Many walk of whom I often told you, now tell you, even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, 
That word destruction doesn't mean annihilation in the sense of ceasing to exist, which some would teach. Uh, it just means eternal punishment. Matthew 25, 41, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones. That would be non-believers. Into the eternal fire. The eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You know what a lot of people think? They think that hell is a place that the devil supervises and his demons. They're kind of in charge. And they poke you with the pitchfork and boss you around while you're there. They are the ones at the bottom, as it were, in the sense of the most extreme punishment is the devil and his demons. And it's, uh, it's not a separate place. Those who are unbelievers are going to the very same place the devil and his demons are going to. Second Peter 2.17, These are springs without water, misdriven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. The black darkness has been reserved. Up in Trout Lake where I grew up, there is a bunch of caves. And so go, going caving was a common thing that we did. And uh, one of the things, whenever we had people visit and we're going to take them caving, we'd get them in there a ways and we'd say, okay, everybody turn off your flashlights, turn off your lanterns, and experience what total darkness is. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. You can't see anything. Can't see movement, nothing. The black darkness has been reserved. And so it's not only uh, hot, it's dark, it's black. Jude 12, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast whom they fe uh, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. The black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment, execute judgment upon all and to convict all of the ungodly and all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an un ungodly way and, all the, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And again, they will be in the black darkness. Revelations 19.20, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence. This is the Antichrist and the false prophet by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beasts and those who worshipped the image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Revelations 20, verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night, day and night, forever and ever and ever. Revelations 2.18, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So the lake of fire is where the devil, his demons go, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all lost people eventually will be in this lake of fire, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. And I can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend being in a place of total darkness and 
uh, absolute pain, separation from anybody and everybody. And after you've been there for a thousand years, to know that it's hardly even starting. Uh, that just uh, is incomprehensible, but the most the best thing about it is knowing that I'm not going to be there. Psalms 88. This is an Old Testament prophecy concerning uh, the, um, the prayer of Christ. There's a discussion theologically about Jesus after death, but I'm convinced personally that he spent three days in hell after he was crucified as part of his payment for our sins. Much of the Psalms are a prophecy of the very uh, prayers that Jesus prayed. Psalms 88, I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit, I become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. They are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me. You have afflicted me with all your waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I might as well go to hell. That's where all my friends are. And I think, you know, you're not going to be playing cards. Uh, you're not having a party once you get there. He says here, you have afflicted me with your waves. You've removed my acquaintances far from me. You've made me an object of loathing to them. I'm shut up and cannot go out. Luke 16, 23, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. I'm, I'm in agony in this flame. By the way, just a side note here, uh, theologically, as people will read that and ask me the question, it looks like uh, people in hell will be able to see us who aren't in hell and that we'll be able to see them. I said, uh, I, what I'll say to you is that before Jesus rose from the dead, uh, there was a place called paradise that was right near where Sheol was in the center of the earth. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it says he led captive a host of captives. He led a parade of all those who were where Lazarus and Abraham were, and he took them into the presence of the Father. So that situation where they could see each other no longer exists. Believers are in heaven now in the presence of Jesus with the Father prior to his resurrection. That was not the case. And uh, so... A little explanation. Number two, we need to live our lives differently than those headed for the lake of fire forever. That seems sort of uh, reasonable, but sometimes we, we talk about grace to the point where we don't really think much about living a righteous life. I don't need to be good to get to heaven, so let's just set that discussion aside. Now, it's important that we understand that God expects that we're going to live holy, righteous lives uh, we don't have to, but we want to. He's granted us the power to do that. Uh, Philippians 3.18, whose God is their appetite, that's these that are going into the lake of fire forever, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Uh, well, that's 
them, not us. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon (coughs) the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, as believers in Jesus, you, you put them all aside. You don't do that anymore. You put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You laid aside the old self. You put them aside and have put on a new self, new self who is being renewed, that is growing, changing, constantly getting better to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So here's the $1,000 question, $10,000 question maybe, million-dollar question. We're putting them all aside, all these bad things, and we're putting on the new self with the good things. How you doing on that one? Uh, How do we pull that off, really? Get better, get more holy, get more righteous, because that's what we want to do, and it needs to be something that we intellectually understand how to do. Uh, I mean, I know how to grow uh, a tomato plant. I should know how to grow me. Uh, I should understand clearly what it takes to become more Christ-like, more holy, more righteous, and be able to put these things off uh, and to change the way I live. Number three, what we set our minds on most of the time dictates how we live most of the time. So, basic principle. You want to change how you act, change how you think. If you change how you think, your actions will follow. So, Philippians 3.18, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. You set your mind on earthly things, then you will live like an earthly person. Colossians 3.2, Paul said, set your mind, this is a command, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. What you set your mind on, that is what you choose to think about. That's what dictates how you live. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like people bossing me around. It just irritates me to death. Somebody said, what do you think about this mass thing? I said, I wouldn't have a problem with it if I could decide to do it on my own, but I I hate doing it because somebody bosses me around and tells me I have to do it. I just, uh. my wife says, eh, you got a bad attitude. I says, yeah, I guess I do. Uh, I think it was Corey Ten Boom in uh, the uh, prison that they had for Jews during the Second World War. And uh, excuse me, it wasn't her, it was Victor Frankel in the book he wrote. Uh, who also was a survivor, one of the few. And in the book he wrote, they control every area of my life. They tell me when to go to bed, when to get up, what to eat, what not to eat, how to act, what to say, 
when to bow, when to stand up, but they can't control what I think. They can't control what I think. I can think whatever I want to think. And so because he focused on his life inside his head as much as he did, he maintained a positive attitude and he survived the Holocaust uh, in the sense of those who were in prison. Romans 8, 5, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And the context is those who walk in the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the Spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It isn't even able to do so. First Chronicles 22, 19, Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind, setting your mind on God's, you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Matthew, uh, Romans 12, 2, and here's the key. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be transformed, be changed, become holy, become righteous, become more and more like God. How? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Number four, reading our Bible every day, every day, every day, every day, and memorizing Scripture is the most powerful way to transform our thinking. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. So you think about God, you think about Jesus, you think about heaven, you think about what it's going to look like, you think about His will, you think about righteousness, and... Uh, the most powerful way, the easiest way, the most convenient way, the quickest way, the most effective way, read the Word of God every day, every day, every day. Memorize Scripture. Spend time every day, every day memorizing the Word of God. Uh, you can read the Word through in a year in 17 minutes a day. If you read at the speed at which you talk. You listen to audio Bible. 17 minutes a day, you can go from Genesis to Revelation. 17 minutes a day. It takes you that long to eat your toast. 17 minutes a day, you can do through the Bible in a year, reading the Word of God every day, every day, every day, it goes into your mind. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Word of God is living, active, sharp as a two-edged sword. It supernaturally works inside of us. And if you want it to really work, then memorize it. You can memorize two verses a week in less than five minutes a day. Five minutes a day reviewing two verses. You could memorize two verses, two new verses every week and review the old ones. Five minutes it takes you longer than that to brush your teeth. I don't know very many people who systematically memorize two verses every week, a hundred verses a year. I don't know very many people who read the Bible every single day, every year. Uh, but it's very, very doable. It's easy. Very little time. 
And the key is understand how powerful it is for transforming your life. Number five, eagerly waiting for Jesus to take us to heaven is the most powerful motivation there is for right living. So I said that once and somebody said, well, I don't understand that. I said, what, what is it you don't understand? I'm not sure why escaping from this life and going into heaven motivates me to live a righteous life here. I don't have to live a righteous life to get to heaven. So why is thinking about heaven going to motivate me to live a righteous life? I said, did you ever read 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 3, Romans 10, and about a hundred other verses? Uh, I'm not sure. What did they say? Well, let me just quote 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all, that's Christians, me, you, we must all, we must Stand before the judgment seat of Christ, before Jesus, and give an account, an account of our life, how we've lived, what we've done. And we will be recompensed by Jesus for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. We'll be recompensed, rewarded. You've heard me talk about this over and over. And it's so important that we review that so that we think about the day that Jesus comes. I will stand before him and I will be recompensed, rewarded for the deeds I've done in the body, whether good or bad. Philippians 3.19, our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus. 1 John 2.28, now here's somebody that's not waiting eagerly. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence, not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Why would you do that? Because you're not living very well. And it's going to be amazing when you first hear the voice, you know the sequence of how the rapture is going to go? First thing that will happen is you'll hear a voice. I'm pretty sure the words are going to be, come up here. Then there's going to be a trumpet sound. Uh, there's power in the blood, something like that tune. I'm not sure what it is. And then, poop, we change them. Twinkling of eye in a moment, we have a glorified body. Now, what are you going to think? Depends how you've been living your life. Some eagerly, hey, cool, it's time. I can't, oh, this is so, uh, but others, oh, mm. shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Uh, so I don't want to do that. I want to be excited. First, Second Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That is, that we know we're going to stand before him and give an account and be rewarded, recompensed for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Number six, whenever we have trials, that's a good time to remind ourselves of heaven. Boy, when I get there, there aren't going to be this Trial, no politics when I get to heaven. Wow, that's going to be so nice. Uh, 
it's just going to be awesome unbelievable time and so every time you go through a trial in this life even a little one just say when I get to heaven it ain't going to be like this 2nd Corinthians 4 16 therefore we do not lose heart we do not lose heart though our outer man is decaying yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction momentary I mean 80 years that's just momentary compared to the billion momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen how do you look at the things that aren't seen you set your mind on those things and you think about them and you visualize them but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal the things which are not seen are eternal number seven physical ailments and growing older is an awesome reminder of our future uh, our new body So I have a huge, huge, huge advantage over Bill Perlicek because I am way older than he is and I have a thousand times more aches and pains than he does. And every time I have one, I think, oh, Lord, I can't wait till I get my new body. So it's kind of like Marvin, about every two minutes, Oh, I can't wait till I get my new body. And quite a few of you older ones in here. And so the aches and pains. My wife says, boy, getting old isn't for weaklings. It isn't. You get old and you get pains and you get aches and you get arthritis and pretty soon you can't remember your husband's name and and it just, everything just starts going bad. But as it does, oh, I can't wait till I get to heaven to get my new body. My glorified body is going to be like Jesus. It's going to be amazing. I don't know about yours, but I get to heaven. I am automatically going to have 100 hymns memorized because I'm going to have this mind like Christ. It's perfect. And so I memorized them once. I'm going to have them. Actually, I only did 25, it was, um, but I'm going to have 100 when I get there. Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Uh, that's a great verse to memorize. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, earthly tent, isn't that a good word for the thing you live in? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan. So I groan quite a bit now. Occasionally, Patty will say, you sure groan a lot. I'm just obeying the Bible. In this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan. Now, when Paul writes it twice, it's definitely okay to groan. We groan being burdened because I said this one time, that verse, and there was a doctor 
in the audience, he said, you know that they've proven that when you audibly groan, your body produces natural painkillers? He says, is that right? Wow, I should never feel any pain. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean complain. That just means, uh, groan. Indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer, prefer rather to be absent from the body, to be at home with the Lord. So if Jesus were to appear to me and say, okay, you got a choice. You can stay here for 10 more years and preach away, or you can go to heaven. <laughs> Take me to heaven. Uh, somebody else will save those sinners. <laughs> Number eight, our imagination is a gift from God that allows us to have times of relief from this life and its pressures to be renewed in our spirit. So we, uh, as kids born with imagination where we can just about do anything, experience anything in our imagination, but when we get old and practical and sort of grumpy and grouchy, we lose our imagination. But that's a gift from God to be able to dream and to imagine. And uh, it's a source of renew, uh, renewal. It's a source of joy. Our imagination is a gift from God, and we can exercise it and develop it, uh, thinking about heaven, thinking about our new body, thinking about what God looks like, thinking about what heaven looks like, thinking about our first feeling, our first emotions. Second Corinthians 12, 2, I know a man, this is Paul speaking, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. That's where God lives. And I, know such, uh, how, uh, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. So Paul got to take it to, I, have, I don't know how many times I've said, Lord, if you would give me five minutes in heaven, Man, it would so motivate me. I would be like invincible. I'd serve you with such enthusiasm and passion. Lord, just, okay, make it three. Three minutes. Okay, two. I remember one time reading that, and Paul says, I don't know whether I was in the body or not. I thought, I wonder what that means. Maybe it means I don't know whether I was there really or just imagining it. Huh, I can do that. There's a lot of verses that describe heaven. And so I can just sit in a chair and look out the window and just, I do it all the time about fishing. I should be able to do it about heaven. That's why I'm the world's greatest fisherman. It's because I do it in my imagination. Nobody catches more fish than I do in my imagination. It's great fun. And so I can do the same thing in regards to heaven. I can dream about it, imagine it, 
Um, wonder what it feels like to fly. Wonder what that body that's just like Jesus, how strong I'll be, how smart I'll be. I'll be able to hear, and I'll have hair, and I'll sing like an angel. Wow, how cool is that? He's coming. I'm looking forward to it. And so between now and that date, I want to grow every single day, become more like him, become more righteous, become more holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift you've given us, the free gift of eternal life with you forever and ever and ever. Lord, we didn't have to earn that gift. You did everything. We just received it, believed the gospel to be true. But now, as your children, your spirit living in us, you've granted us power. And Lord, your will is that we would live righteous lives, that we would pursue righteousness, we would pursue maturity, we would grow. I pray that each one of us would be intent on that, focused on that, setting our mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth and that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, becoming more like you. And we don't want to be those who shrink back in shame at your coming, but uh, those, Lord, who welcome you with open arms, eagerly, anticipating your praise and uh, the glory of our introduction into heaven. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.